I want to thank you for your um, uh, for your love towards me while my wife is in India for ten days, and as I've told some of you, um, it is a great success. My children are all here. They are, are dressed um, and uh, I think look okay, and so it's been some. That's a major feat for a dad by himself on a Sunday morning. But if you've got your Bibles, uh, if the scripture we read this morning, Daniel chapter 9, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 9 today, and I want to start off by uh, just reminding you as we've been working our way through this book over the past, um, I, guess, I guess, nine weeks now or so, uh, that this book is written to a people who are in captivity. As you heard Gary read the scripture earlier you heard that, if, if you were listening. You heard that they were in captivity. They were there because of their sin. They had forsaken God. They had violated His commandments. They had turned away from Him. And God, throughout history, had warned them of, here's what's going to happen if you continue on this path. And we see, we find Daniel and, and God's people uh, in exile. Um, we have to remember... As we're looking at the context uh, in Daniel chapter 1, and I know we go back to this frequently, but we just cannot um, go back here enough. We have to remember as we're looking at this in Daniel chapter 1, look at verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them out of the land of Shinar to the house of God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. One of the things we have to remember that Daniel set up for us at the beginning of his book, that he did not look at the Babylonian Empire as the conquering force of of what overtook his people. We see that as, as Daniel is writing this book, one of the things that he knew, and we see it through his prayer, is that it wasn't the Babylonians that were were the the ones that did this, but it was God. That this was an issue, there was a relationship issue, and that God was at work, and that God was doing something. And so, as we have been marching through this book, and we saw that the first six chapters were about Daniel and his friends, and the things that had happened, and we talked about the grace and mercy of God in the midst of the captivity, and all the things that went on, how Daniel and his friends stood against culture and how God blessed them in the midst of that, in the midst of captivity. And then as we've turned and we are now into more of the prophetic part of this book, one of the things that we're going to see continuously come to the forefront are these two great giant forces that are so good, that are so good. And one is that God is sovereign. And the other is that our God is merciful. And we see that over and over and over. Now, I want to just real quickly talk to you about the structure of chapter 9. The structure of chapter 9. Here we have in this, in this chapter, um, it is most famously for the end part of the chapter. So what I'm going to do is take four weeks, and that gives me three weeks in the prayer, and Gary's going to do the 70 weeks at the end of... No, we're not going to do that. We're going to... What we have is Daniel is here praying, and, he, and we're going we're gonna to set this up in a minute, what he is praying for. Daniel is praying, and then we have God responding to him at the end of the chapter uh, through Gabriel. And, and one of the things that happens, which I think is a shame, is that 
Um, because the end of Daniel is um, controversial, is interesting, uh, is hope-filled, one of the things that happens is that a lot of pastors or theologians or commentaries just skip right over this great prayer and go right to the end. And I think there is just so much for us as we look in this prayer that I wanted to take two weeks uh, to go through that. So today's focus, we're going to look at this prayer. And, and the focus is not this, so please hear me. There's two things that I want you to not, uh, the, the, I don't want you to misunderstand. Number one, what I am not advocating is that we pray like Daniel. Now, we pray like Daniel only in that he was praying correctly before God. So in other words, what I don't want you to hear me say is that if you pray like Daniel, God will bless you. You hear me? What I want to see is, is as Daniel is praying, and there's, there's a reason why we can look at his prayer and emulate it, and it has less to do about him and more to do about uh, something else that we'll see in a minute. The other thing, and Gary kind of alluded to this a minute ago, is that as Daniel is praying uh, for the people in captivity... One of the things you need to know is that this was a specific prayer for a specific people in a specific time. And many people make the mistake, and I'm not going to wade too far into these waters, but they make the mistake of using this prayer of Daniel and, and kind of in a way of saying, um, the, the way they're communicating this is that as Daniel was praying for the people of Israel, so should we be praying for America as if God had promised us as Americans the same thing He had promised the nation of Israel, and that's not what's going on here. This was a very specific people that were holding on to a very specific promise, and so Daniel was praying in a very specific way. However, however, there is much for us to dig in and learn here this morning. Now, the questions that I want circulating in your head as we as we go through this passage, is this. How do most people pray? It was interesting. Yesterday, I was driving to Chick-fil-A. Uh, we needed some place to eat, and I'm a Christian, so we had to go to Chick-fil-A. Um, and uh, somehow we got to talk about cell phones. We had dropped William off, and he had his cell phone. So, we, you know, cell phone is, is a topic of conversation in our house. So, and I always joke with the kids that, you know, Flannery will get a cell phone at her birthday because the kid, boys want one and, you know, well, I joke that she's younger but she's going to get whatever she wants because, you know, she's our only girl. So, the boys were saying, no, Flannery, you can't get one until you're this age and she's getting ready to turn five. So, she said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for a cell phone for my birthday. And we're like, okay. And then all of a sudden, she just starts praying. And her prayer was this. We didn't know she was going to ask God for a cell phone, but that's what she did. And her prayer went something like this. Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Give me a cell phone. Thank you for this food. I mean, amen. Now, God wants to hear what we want. But do we consider how we pray? And, and I want to suggest that Probably many of our prayers are much more like Flannery's prayer than Daniel's prayer. How do most people pray? Do we know or consider who we are praying to? Do we know how to pray? Do we know what to pray for? Do we know how God views our situation? Or are we just praying? 
This is where Daniel can help us. So let's jump in. Let's jump in with two feet, and I'm going to go pretty quickly. And, and I'm just going to admit right off the bat, there is so much here. We could, we could spend several weeks here, but we're not. We're going to spend one week here, so I'm going to just jump in and go. And in verse 1 in chapter 9, you see, in the first year of Darius um, the king. Now, now, this is the same king that we saw in chapter 5, verse 30. This is the same king that was in charge when Daniel famously went to the lion's den. This is this same Man, this is a point of reference, in the, and, and it's an important point of reference because what this means is that Daniel and his people, depending upon when you start counting from, and there's many theories that this, is, this prayer may be Daniel asking God to count from the earliest date possible. But what it means is that God's people have been in captivity nearly 70 years. Close to that. And so Daniel gives us a point of reference here that, that this is the king. You know, I told you in chapter 6, you know, when Daniel was in trouble for praying and it said as he regularly did, as he looked towards Jerusalem and as he prayed, that I think this is probably the type of prayer he was praying and that he got in trouble for. The problem is that the people are in captivity and Daniel is going to pray for delivery and he's going to pray that God stays true to his word. In verse 2, we see in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, notice this, observed in the books the number of years which was revealed, revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet, for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Now, in two places... Jeremiah gives us this prophecy of 70 years. The first one is in chapter 25, verses 10 and 11. Just listen to me. You don't have to turn there. It says, Moreover, I will take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. In this whole land shall be a desolation and a horror. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Again, in chapter 29, chapter 29, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. What is vital here? What is vital here, and we can't miss it in these verses, is this. Notice, he says, I observed in the books. Daniel was reading the books. He was reading Jeremiah, and he calls the books, he calls this book of Jeremiah, he calls it the Word of the Lord. So what Daniel was not doing is just reading some books and say, hey, this is a pretty good theory, or these guys seem to have pretty good ideas. Daniel was reading these books and he considered them the word of the Lord. And he was placing authority on God's word so that when he looked out, when he counted the days, he knew that these 70 years were near completion and it drove him to his knees in prayer. He is reading and he is praying. Now, I want you to notice... Notice in the next verse, and you're saying, man, there's 19 of these, Lewis. You're, <laughs> we're going to get through it. Notice in this next verse. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer and supplications with fasting 
sackcloth and ashes. This, this phrase, I gave my attention, means to turn my face towards. And notice Daniel knew the promise. He believed the promise. Not only did he turn his face towards God, but he began to seek him by prayer. Now, what we're going to see throughout these verses is that Daniel knew God. He knew about God. He knew who God was. He knew God's character. He knew all these things about him. And he viewed this prayer as this communion with God. And we're going to see him praying, praying what he knew about God, but then seeking the Lord. Seeking, seeking him, seeking wisdom by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. When you put this, the, the, the last three things there, fasting, sackcloth and ashes, one of the things that you get is that Daniel's posture, Daniel's attitude in prayer was one of humility was one of longing, one of joy, and one of expectation. Brothers and sisters, one of the first things that we can learn from Daniel is to have this kind of posture in our prayer life. Many times in my own life, um, I find myself doing things like throwing up a prayer. You know what I mean? Throwing a Hail Mary. Or just checking prayer off the list because it's what a good Christian does, especially a pastor. You're supposed to pray. Versus being aware of my posture. Being aware of who I'm communing with and going to the Lord. And this can only come from, this posture can only come from, the second thing that I want you to hear is that Daniel knew who he was praying to. Look at verse 4. And I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant and loving kindness for those who love Him and keep His commandments. Now, notice there, Daniel in this prayer often is, is um, contrasting, not contrasting, but illuminating two things. So he'll have two things about man and two things about God. Here in this verse, notice what he is saying about God. Notice what he's saying about God. He prayed to the Lord my God. Those two words are different there. The Lord, the Sovereign, my God. Then we drop down a little bit further and notice what he says. This is very important. O Lord, the great and awesome God. That is, Daniel is praying to the awesome God this is Daniel saying, this God is the God. He is the supreme. He is awesome. That very word, awesome, that's how we should talk about God because there is nothing greater. God is the awesome. There is nothing better than. He's the king. He's the maker. He's the sustainer. Our vision of God cannot be big enough. And that's what Daniel is saying here by saying the awesome God. But notice, he doesn't just say that. Awesome God, who keeps His covenant and loving kindness. This awesome, far above, far beyond God, on this side, on this side, the God who enters into covenant with us. 
and who acts in loving kindness towards us. Brothers and sisters, if we truly understand just these two things about God, and He bids us to come to Him in prayer, it's going to fix our posture. This is our God who we're praying to. And this leads to great prayer and right posture. The third thing that I want you to see is that Daniel knew what sin was. And specifically, he knew his people's sin. I am blown away that when you read this, that Daniel, when he's talking about the sin of the Israelites, that he says, we. I would have been tempted to say, those people, God, I've been pretty good. Remember me, I, the lion's den thing? Daniel includes himself here as a representative to his people. And just, just listen. Just listen in verse uh, 5. In verse 5, he talks about sin in four ways. He says, we have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have acted wickedly and rebelled. Even turning aside from the commandments and the ordinances. And so in, in using these four different phrases about sin, he covers it all. <laughs> Guilty in, in all the ways possible. And then notice, as we continue to read, notice as he contrasts um, his people's sin and God's righteousness. Notice this. Moreover, we have not listened to thy servants, the prophets who spoke in thy name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the peoples of the land. Righteousness belongs to thee, O Lord. But to us, open shame, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel who are nearby, and those who are far away in all the countries to which thou hast driven them, because of their unfaithful deeds, which they have continued committed against thee. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To you, to the Lord our God, belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and if we were to keep going through verse 16 we see this over and over and over about the sin of the people and the righteousness of God now one of the things one of the things that I want to be sure that we hear this morning that as we are coming to the Lord in prayer and as we are coming to the Lord to confess our sins that we must see our sin correctly and that we must repent as a believer. And you may say, well, Lewis, what in the world do you mean by that? So many times, and I think we see it here, in fact, I know we see it here because I'm going to give you the verse in a second. So many times we see people who are, we know this if you're raising kids, they're sorry because they got caught or they're sorry because of the condition they're in. In other words, these people that were in captivity they dearly longed to be back home. They dearly longed to be out from under the, the rule of the foreign powers in which they were uh, forced to be subservient to. They did not like the situation they were in. They did not like what their sin had produced. But is that repentance? Is that repentance? Let's look at verse 13. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet 
We have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to thy truth. I cannot tell you how many times I've had people come and talk to me who were caught in some horrific situations because of their own actions. Jail time, families torn apart. And as I hear them talking and as I hear them crying in the depths of their soul, what they are wanting is to, what they're wanting is a second chance. They're just wanting things to go back like it used to be. They're, they're, they're wanting to return to the land. You know what's absent from that? I have sinned. I have broken fellowship with God. And I repent of that. I haven't walked in the ways that God wants me to walk. And I want to turn towards Him because He is merciful and gracious and loving. And what means more to me than anything right now is my relationship with my Heavenly Father. See, unbelievers repent. Like the first thing I just said. Unbelievers are uncomfortable in bad situations. Only a believer repents like we see Daniel repenting. The fourth thing, the fourth thing that Daniel knew is that Daniel knew that God would act. Look at verse 15. And now, O Lord our God, who has brought thy people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has made a name for thyself as it is this day. We have sinned and we've been wicked. Notice as he was saying, O Lord our God, who has brought our people out of Egypt. In saying that, Daniel is saying, as I look throughout the history of our people, God has acted. God is in a covenant relationship with Israel and he will act again. He's looking at history. Notice the second thing here in verse 16. O Lord, in accordance with all thy righteous acts, let now thine anger and thine wrath turn away from thy city, Jerusalem. So the second thing we see here, he looks at history. He looks at God's character. He looks at God's righteousness. And one of the things that's interesting, and I wish I had a ton of time to just flesh this out. But no, as Daniel is praying, Daniel knows that the 70 years is almost up. And so he keeps talking about God's righteousness because what he's saying he's saying is that in righteousness you have punished us and you are righteous and so I know because of your righteousness that you're not going to go against your word and so it's not going to be 70 years in one day you may say how in the world does this relate to us (laughs) when we have sinned When we have sinned, we can look at God's past faithfulness. We can look at His righteousness. And when we think about God's righteousness, we think about Christ. The penalty has been paid in Christ. So that as we pray, as we confess our sins, that we can say, God, Your righteousness. You are righteous and You have punished my sin on your son, and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We could keep going there, but I want to move forward in our text. Notice the other reason that he knew God would act. 
He knew it because of history. He knew it because of who God was, his righteousness. Notice in verse 17 and 19, and I've got an old version of the NSB here, so NASB, so you're going to hear a lot of thys. So listen to all the thys. Starting in verse 17. So now our God, listen to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplications and for thy sake, O Lord. Let thy face shine on thy your desolate sanctuary. O oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by thy or your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before thee on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and take action for your own sake. Oh my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. Daniel knew, Daniel knew that the movement of God throughout history was for his glory. Now, don't get bottled up by this. Because sometimes when we get bottled up by this and we, we say, oh, yeah, but, you know, Lewis is glory, but it's also God is love. God, and, and look, I just want to real quickly lean into that and hopefully explain what I mean and what I think the Scripture talks about when it says your glory, your name, your, uh, your, your renown, you, you, who you are known throughout the earth. God is not just loving. God is love. You understand that? God is not, God just doesn't act mercifully sometimes. God is merciful. So when God's glory or who He is is being radiated among the people and among the nations and among the cities and among the sanctuary, what is it about God that's being radiated? Who He is. It's not separate from His love, His mercy, His kindness, His righteousness. It's who He is. And Daniel, as he is praying, he knows that this is God's aim and God's goal. And he's praying, Lord, let it be. Lord, let it be. You know, this prayer sounds an awful lot like the Lord's Prayer, doesn't it? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And as we march through that prayer, forgive us of our debts as we forget those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Amen. It's interesting, the parallels in this. And what I want to ask you is, do you pray like this? And where I want to challenge you, and what's vital, is that you must know the Bible to pray like this. If we're not in God's Word, how are we going to know who we're praying to? If we don't know what God is like, His attributes and His character, how can we rest upon anything that He has said or anything that we feel like that He might do? As we pray, are we aware of how merciful, that He is merciful, that He is loving, that He is steadfast, that He is the covenant keeper? Are we aware of our problem, that we are sinners, that we are in need? And that God has provided a way. 
And you may say, Lewis, where do you get that? You know, if we could, it is amazing in this prayer. Um, you could go through this prayer and literally, there are quotations almost, there are cross-references everywhere with other passages in the Old Testament. And I just want to talk about some easy ones for the sake of time. But notice in verse 2, again, where he talks about the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah, the prophet. Again, in verse 5, we have sinned and committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled and turning aside. Notice, from thy commandments and thy ordinances. How do we know that unless we're in the word? Notice verse 6, moreover, we have not listened to thy servants, the prophets who spoke in your name. To our kings. Again in verse 10. In verse 11. For we have obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. To walk in his teachings. Which he set before us. Through his servants the prophets. 11. Indeed all Israel has transgressed thy law. And turned aside. Not obeying your voice. Thy voice. So that the curse has been poured out upon us. Along with the oath which was written in the law of Moses, the servant of God. And then in verse 13. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to thy truth. Brothers and sisters, your prayer life, your prayer life, will be what it needs to be in relation to the amount of the word that you know, not just for the sake of knowledge so that God can give you a gold star, but for the sake of knowing who this God is you're praying to, what he is like. And, most, and another important factor in this as well, I almost said most importantly, but that's not true. As important, the promises that he's given to you. When you're in a bad way, do you pray the promises of God? Do you pray... The promises of God. As you've heard me say before, one of my favorite places, and it comes back to me over and over in my own prayer life, is Romans 8. Everything from there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus to the end, that nothing can separate me from the love of God. Those are the promises that God has given to me. In dark, difficult, hard times, do you know, do you know the promises of God on your life? What about 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, that this light momentary affliction? What about it, the book of Philippians where Paul's talking about the circumstances that he's in and how we can be, how we can rejoice? And again I say rejoice in the midst of bad circumstances. Now, I'm not saying a couple of things. Number one, I am not saying that we need a formula. I'm not saying that God doesn't want us to come to Him openly, honestly, heartfelt, gut-wrenching. He wants us to come to Him in that way. He wants us to lay our burdens out. He wants us to pray with all our vulnerabilities, with, with all our sin, and lay that out on the table. But brother and sister, can you understand in praying that way how comforting it is to know, how comforting it is to know that also as we're praying those things, that we can come back and say, God, your word says this about my situation. It's so comforting. It's so comforting. 
I'm also not saying, and I want you to hear this loud and clear, I'm also not saying that you have to be a Bible scholar to begin your prayer life. I don't want that to be heard. I don't want you to hear this morning me say, okay, well, you know, you've got to read through the Bible eight times, understand the Trinity before you can really start praying. That's not what we're saying. What I'm saying is digging into this word and learning about who God is, who you are in relation to him and learning the promises of God for those who are believers informs your prayer life in such a way that it'll change you forever. Now, to understand this chapter, and part of this is going to go into next week, and you've heard this over and over from me, but to, to understand this chapter and to understand this book, you have to know that Daniel knew and trusted God's word. We've seen it over and over again. He knew that the captivity would not be forever. He trusted what God had said. He knew that God raised up people to pray. He knew that God heard his prayers. He knew that God was sovereign. And he knew that God intervened in the affairs of men. And one of the things that I take solace by this man's prayer is this. Is that although Daniel knew all these things, although he was trusting in the divine plan of God, one of the many things that I love about getting a glimpse into this man's prayer life is that we see the emotion. And where that brings comfort to me is that I can trust in God and trust in His plan and still wrestle with doubt. I, and that's part of what prayer is, right? Of bringing that before the Lord. Bringing that before the Lord and still brokenhearted. Still being fearful. And praying that God would take my fears and that God would mend my broken heart. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, it is my hope and I, my expectation that, that starting here with me, but that we become a people of prayer. And if we're going to be the people of prayer, if we're going to be a people of prayer, we've got to have the right posture. We've got to know who we're praying to. We've got to know what God's Word says about us. And we've got to trust in Him. So would you commit yourself with me to getting this Word more inside of us so not only that it can help us with life, but it can help us to be a people who can turn to the Lord, who can turn to the Lord and trust in Him in our times of need. Let's pray.